I'm not sure how many contacts I have on my phone, but I'm certain that Ebed Melik, thank you, Adrian, for teaching us how to pronounce it, Ebed Melik is not on it. There are several Jeremys, who, of course, um, are the equivalent of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, but no Ebed Melik. His name just didn't catch on, happily, perhaps. And yet he's a hero in our first reading, and an example of how compassion, which is defined as the sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others, how compassion can give us confidence to be more upfront about our Christian faith. And so it's worth turning to Ebed Melech's story in Jeremiah um, 38, as we've heard already, it's page 754. And if you open that up, you might just, it might help you as I, I just run through that. Page 754 in the Old Testament. And you'll see in chapter 37, and on that page, we learn that he was from Ethiopia. So therefore, he was likely to be a black uh, African. He was a, a eunuch, which was a position of trust. In the close circle of the king of Judah, he was a confidant of the king. And Judah, of course, is part of Israel today, a small part. And it was a time of crisis. In comparison with the great empires of Egypt and Babylon, the little state of Judah counted for nothing, somewhere between the two of them. The king was Zedekiah, and we'll see on the page before, on page 30, in chapter 37, verse 3, that he asked God's prophet, Jeremiah, to pray on his behalf. And yet, if you read verse 2 just before it, we find that he totally ignored God's word. How patronizing, isn't it? Leave us to run the country. We know best. When we need your prayers, you religious people will ask for them. Then, as now, there was a visceral hatred against those who were public about their Christian faith. Just think of Cape Forbes in Scotland, for example. And then, as now, God's people were misquoted, slandered, intimidated. Anything to silence them. Leave, the, leave it to us. We know what we're doing. You can pray if you like, but nothing else. And so Jeremiah, as a result of that persecution, was thrown into a deep pit. And there we are on chapter 38, verse 7. A deep well, a system, where he sank in the mud, incapable, unable to pull himself out. Out of sight, they thought, out of mind. But this is when Ebed Melech comes into his own Remember, he's not a Jew by birth. He's likely to be either a captive or a son of captives and presumably worked as a slave in the royal palace. As slavery goes, it wasn't a bad gig. He had the king's ear. He had the king's respect. He lived in the palace. So he had quite a lot to lose by standing up for justice. Why did he do it? The answer is found in chapter 39, verse 18. He, that's the next chapter. He trusted in God. He had a personal faith in God. And that faith, that knowledge of God, led him to risk everything, he, everything that was important and, and for him, out of compassion for a servant of God, a prophet of God, who was about to die of hunger. And so he gets the king's consent to rescue him with the help of three men and ropes. But Ebed Melech's compassion 
led him to imagine what it must feel like to be a prisoner, to, to have to be lifted up out of the mud and pulled out of the mud. He was sunk in the mud. And so he went back to the wardrobe to get old clothes or rags in order to make it comfortable for Jeremiah. How thoughtful. What compassion this man showed. Ebed Merrick saw a need and took political action to resolve it. He went to the authorities, to the king, to get him to act for the benefit of others. In other words, social action. And I've got two examples this morning of of, uh, compassionate Christians who were so confident that something needed to be done that they inspired others and the government, our government, because they're both both from this country, to help in their social action. First is Cicely Saunders. Having been a nurse, she then trained as a doctor and became a Christian somewhere along the way. She couldn't bear to hear patients and their relatives being told, I'm sorry, there's nothing more that can be done. Meaning, of course, that there's no known medicine or surgery that can save this person's life. I'm afraid they need to leave the hospital and and, and, and go home. From experience, she believed that the body becomes weaker, that as the body becomes weaker, so the spirit becomes stronger. She sought and gained the support of, of others who would, um, this is technology is letting me down, of a, uh, the support of a chief medical officer, that's right, at the Ministry of Health. And encouraged by a promise of God in Psalm 37 that she found in reading Psalm 37, she founded the first purpose-built hospice to meet the physical, social, psychological, and spiritual needs, I quote there, of its patients and those of their families and friends. Today there are more than 220 hospices as the result of this Christian lady being moved by compassion to take social action. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? Second is Paddy Henderson. He, with his wife Carol, went to Bulgaria working with Tear Fund. It was just at the end end of the 90s to feed hungry children. Their home was in Salisbury. One day, someone in the town said to them, why are you going abroad to feed the hungry when there are children here in Salisbury who don't have enough to eat? And so in 2000, with a legacy from Carol's mother who died, Mrs. Trussell, they started, in their, they started the Salisbury Food Bank in their garden shed. Through church networks, the concept spread rapidly across the country, and today over... T- 1,200 food banks in the UK are linked to that Trussell Trust. Compassion for people in desperate circumstances gave these remarkable modern Christians confidence to take social action. They believe that Jesus cares for those who are dying. They believe that Jesus cares for the hungry. And so they acted accordingly. Now let's turn to the New Testament. It's on um, page 9 in the second half of the Bible, into Matthew's Gospel, which was our reading just now. We read in verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had, what? Compassion for them. 
And Jesus' compassion is frequently mentioned in the Gospels, and it's seen um, of very often resulting in what we today call social action. We read in verse 35, for example, Then Jesus went about all the cities, curing every disease and every sickness. But his compassion did not stop at the physical. He was compassionate for the spiritually sick. And the spiritually sick need spiritual help. We see that in the beginning of Matthew, chapter 9 of, the, chapter nine of Matthew. We, we see that right in the, the very beginning of the first story. Um, but we see it also in, in verse, we also see it in verse 35 where it says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and then curing every disease and every sickness. And in verses 2 to 8 of chapter 9, Jesus' belief that one's spiritual need is greater than one's physical need is clearly stated. And it's the story of that paralyzed man. You remember Mark tells us about it, how they broke open the roof to lower him down so that Jesus could see him. The friends who brought that man to Jesus are greatly praised, but they only saw his social, physical need. He had never walked. He needed to be healed. But Jesus saw something else that even more pressing was this man's need for God's forgiveness. And the healing shows that he really is forgiven. Look at verse 6 in chapter 9. But so that you may know, says Jesus, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. Do you see that? Before he heals him, he forgives him his sins. He recognizes that's his greatest need. And then, to demonstrate that he's truly forgiven, he tells him to stand up. And of course he does. So look back again at 36 and 37 in chapter 9 of Matthew. We see what Jesus saw. Verse 36, the crowds. We see what Jesus felt. He had compassion for them. We see why he felt as he did because he saw them as being harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And we also see what we, today, his followers, must do. The harvest is plenty, verse 37, he says, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The crowd that Jesus saw would have, would have, um, would have been included people who, who didn't obviously have problems. And yet Jesus felt compassion for them. Why? Well, because they were, to him, they were harassed and helpless. He could see inside. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I've never been a sheep farmer. But I have watched Wallace and Gromit and Shaun the Sheep. And so I know that sheep need someone to care for them. Sheep without a shepherd would be harassed, not knowing which way to turn, helpless before a predator. Otherwise, or almost certainly, if they don't have a leader, they will come to a sticky end. And Jesus felt compassion for the people then, and he feels compassion for people today who do not know God's love who do not know it personally for them. And that may well, almost certainly, will include people you know and love. Outwardly they may seem fine, 
But inwardly, there is guilt, fear, uncertainty. They are harassed. And whatever other worries they have in life, physical, mental, psychological, their greatest need is spiritual. They need to know that God has forgiven them and that he is on their side, that he is their saviour. I'm going to ask a personal question. I don't expect you to answer. Out loud, that is. Perhaps in your thoughts. Do you know that God has forgiven you? Are you sure that he has forgiven you? I suspect each of us, myself included, have guilty secrets that we'd hate brought out into the open. Jesus died on the cross for those sins. He died for you. He died for me because he loves us and he wants us to be forgiven. He is willing to be your shepherd. He is willing to be our shepherd. The supreme social action prompted by compassion. And so we learn that Jesus is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. He invites you to say with confidence, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. He is my saviour. I will follow him in all things. Is that something you can say? To those here this morning who already follow him, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's a call, not simply to social action, but to spiritual action. And spiritual action seen in prayer, to pray for those who do not yet know Jesus as their shepherd. To pray for people we know, and also for people we'll never know. People who are known to our mission partners across the world. And in supporting them financially and in prayer, we are doing what Jesus tells us to do here. I imagine you, like me, regularly pray for, for those nearest and dearest to you. Members of your family. We love them. When they go through difficult times, we feel great compassion for them. We ask God to help them to recover from an illness, to, be, uh, to get the job that they want, and so on. We pray for their well-being. Yes, of course we do. That's good. But do you pray for their spiritual well-being? That Jesus will be their good shepherd? that they will encounter Christians, if they're not yet following Jesus, that they will encounter Christians who will help them to come to find him and to follow him. And what we call Christians, Jesus in verse 37 calls laborers. Laborers have a, work, have a job of work to do. And the course we're following this Lent is to encourage us in that work, to, of helping people we know, the people we meet to follow Jesus as their saviour and lord. And when that happens the harvest increases. But you may not be convinced yet that your friends, your successful friends or contented family members need Jesus. They seem to be doing very well without him. They don't need compassion, our compassion, do they? Well, in answer, may I just tell a story, a share with you a story that happened to me here in this church in Oxford some years ago. 
because it shows to me how important it is for someone to, to know that they are forgiven. A new couple used to, began to attend here on Sunday evenings when we had a, a, a fairly uh, formal service of Evensong. Shyly, they would come in just as, um, as, the, as the service started and quickly they would try to leave as soon as it finished. But they didn't want to speak to anybody at first. But gradually, we got to know them. The wife joined a group and asked Jesus in, in time, asked Jesus to come into her life to forgive her and to guide her. She began to, she, the change was, was, was immediately evident, especially to the husband, but he was less responsive. He had worked hard, he was successful, he ran a good business in London. Their children were doing well at university. He thought he had much to be satisfied with, but for some reason he kept coming and eventually joined a men's Bible study group. And in time, he too surrendered to Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Spiritually, he grew like a weed. The transformation was quite dynamic. All the energy and enthusiasm, professionalism that had made him a success in business was directed in serving God. He even became one of our wardens. His name's on the board. And then, when, sadly, he was diagnosed with cancer. And in a fairly short time, he died at home. A few days before he passed away, he sent for me. I found him in bed. He could no longer speak. He, he, he took some paper and a pen. He wanted to write, and I got the note in my pocket. He wanted to write to say how much knowing Jesus, had, how, how, it meant, well, how much it meant to him. How, and I, I was so deeply moved on that. I still have that note, as I've said, and treasure it. He had achieved much in his life. But like the Apostle Paul, he regarded his pre-Christian achievements as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus as his Saviour and Lord. Whoever you know, however well they seem to be doing, without Christ, they are lost sheep. If you love them, out of compassion, pray for them every day that they will come to the point where they can call Jesus my shepherd. And pray for the confidence when the time comes to speak of Jesus to them. Let's pause and reflect as before I lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, if by your Holy Spirit we have heard you speaking to us today, we pray that you will help us not to harden our hearts, but to come to put our trust in you personally, perhaps for the first time, or to renew that trust and burn into our hearts and our desires that others we love and meet may come to know you too as their shepherd. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love to us in sending us a shepherd. And we wish to follow him more nearly, to see him more clearly, and to love him more dearly day by day. 
Amen.